seat. Amen, and welcome to Impact for week five of our series, Turn the Page, Leave the Cage. You happy to be here this morning? Yeah? Some of you are a little disoriented and you're like, is this second announcement? Because it's pretty early in the service. We're actually going to be ending our service with communion today and with a time of worship. So um, yes, I'm up here to preach already, okay? So some of you are just getting your seat and that's awesome. Welcome to Impact. And um, before we get into our text this morning, uh, I wanted to just honor something that happened this last week and that a lot of you were here for, a lot of you helped with, a lot of you served at Trunk or Treat on Thursday. How many of you were out here at Trunk or Treat on Thursday? I think like most of the Eastern part of Kent County was here in this building. It was insanity. Um, Lance and Amy King are right here. You guys wanna stand up for us. Can you stand up? Uh, you weren't expecting this. Let's give them a hand. They. They were point, they were leaders for the event this year and you guys did such a great job. Um, and Nathan and Gabriel Brearley with decorations and so many people were out here serving and helping and it was just incredible. And the line, uh, I don't, if you weren't here, the line for about an hour to an hour and a half started out where that fire pit is. You know that fire pit that you pass by that has the same wood in it since June that's never been used? Do you know what I'm talking about? Everyone know what I'm talking about? That fire pit is where the line began and it went all the way inside and it came into the worship space and it went around the whole perimeter and then back out and back to the door and into kid zone and that's how long people waited for candy. People are passionate about candy. This is the moral of the story. We had about 2,500 people here at that event. Is what we're, I mean, it was just incredible. And thank you guys for helping with that. I love getting dressed up in costumes. Do you guys like dressing? I, I don't know if it's because I'm bald, but I really like wearing wigs <laughs> here and there. You know, like I've got a Joe Dirt wig, you know, those ones with like the, the, the mullet. Um, I love wearing that wig. My favorite is probably my Donald Trump wig. And I just like wearing that going around and saying huge and billions and everything's huge, right? I love uh, dressing up. My favorite costume though is probably my Rex Kwando costume where I've got like my American flag pants. Rex Kwando. <laughs> my kids, I love watching my kids around this time of the year and really throughout the year in our basement, we have this, um, this chest that's just full of uh, of wigs, of princess dresses. Any parents know what I'm talking? Princess dresses, superhero outfits. I mean, we have every Superman, uh, superhero. We've got Superman, we've got Batman, we've got Iron Man. Um, we've tapped into uh, Star Wars characters. We've got Han Solo and our kids love dressing up and becoming a superhero and becoming another character and living vicariously through this other character. So fun. We're, st we're talking about a story today and we're actually gonna jump right into the text this morning. We're gonna jump into the text. It's in Genesis chapter two and Genesis chapter three. And we're going to the oldest story of hiding, the oldest story of costuming that there is in scripture. The oldest story of masquerading. And this isn't a positive story of masquerading. This isn't a positive story of hiding. This isn't fun superhero princess type of, uh, of story. This is Two people, you, uh, all of our first, our father and mother, Adam and Eve, hiding from God. 
dressing up, disguising because of sin and shame. We're talking about turning the page on sin and shame today. And the story begins like this. If you've got your Bibles, you can open to Genesis chapter two. If not, you can follow on the screen. And I'm just gonna sum up, summarize a little bit, sum up uh, Genesis chapter two, <clears throat> excuse me, for you. Genesis chapter two went like this. God had just finished creation and he said about creation that all of it was very good. Everything was very good. And everything was perfect and animals and, and, and humans and all types of animals and all types of, uh, of creatures were living together in perfect harmony. There was no sin, there was no death, there was no guilt, there was no shame. And Adam literally walked with creator God. Could you imagine? I can't imagine it. I don't think any of us can imagine that. Literally walking with creator God himself in the garden, in utopia in perfection, in paradise. And it says that God told Adam, he said, you can eat from any tree in the garden except for this one in the middle. And there's a tree right in the middle of the garden and it's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of that tree, you must not eat. If you do, surely you will die. It's like, okay, all right, okay. The story goes on and Adam discovers, that, or God discovers something uh, that wasn't good the first, this isn't good about um, creation. And it was that Adam was alone. And so he creates Eve and he puts Adam in this deep sleep and he takes Adam's, one of Adam's ribs from his side and he creates Eve, he creates woman. He creates, whoa, man. I think that's, Adam, I think that's Adam's real response, first response to seeing Eve. He creates woman. And Adam's, uh, Adam's response is, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And then the scripture says, and for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and the two will be united as one. They will become one flesh. And this is where our story, this is the first verse I want us to read together. It says at the very end of chapter two, the very end of this utopia, this perfection, this paradise, it says this about their situation. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame, none, no shame. I want you to think about the last time you felt shame, disgrace, embarrassment. Was it this morning? Is it right now? Was it last week? Last time you felt shame. Imagine with me, Adam and Eve lived in no shame and they were naked. Now this, na this word naked, we're gonna discover this in, throughout chapter three. And it's, uh, it, for some reason, God uses it multiple times in this story that they were naked and they felt no shame or later that they were naked and they realized it. And then they, because of their nakedness, they felt shame. Something about this nakedness is much more than just physical nudity. It's about innocence. It's about being naked, being vulnerable, no, no pretension, nothing covering up. And you're okay with that. They were okay with that. I think about my, um, my son, Carter. I think he's actually here today. Hey, buddy. Carter's here today. When Carter was three, um, well, all my kids just have always hated wearing clothing. Parents, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> They just, they, they get home or even outside of our home, they're taking off their shoes. We're losing shoes and socks all the time and jackets. They just uh, disrobe all the time. Well, Carter was three and we were outside. We were in the backyard and he was, uh, it, it was, it was warm outside. It was like a hot July day and he's swimming. And I promise he had swimming trunks on at one point in time. <laughs> 
But he was getting hot and he was like, I don't need these things on. And so he took off his trunks and he was uh, in his birthday suit. And Ryder Jones, I don't know if Ryder's in here right now, but Ryder um, came over right at that time and Carter called Ryder Ry Ry. Isn't that cute? So that was his nickname, it was Ry Ry. And Ryder came over and he came around uh, into our backyard and he saw Carter and Carter was like, hey, Ry Ry. And he's standing on top of a little kid slide getting ready to go down into a kiddie pool. And he goes, Ry Ry, look at me. And then he proceeded to point to body parts that were not usually exposed. And Ryde's like, whoa, that's some greeting. My, my, mom told, uh, my mom tells a similar story. When I was about four years old, I would get out of bath time as a kid and I, I would dry off and then I would use my towel as a cape. Did anyone else do this? I would take a clothespin and I would, put the, I would pin the cape on right here, but that's all I'd wear. That's it. I just run around the house as a naked superhero with a cape. And a neighbor came over and came to our front door and he was, he was talking with my mom and I heard him. Um, as the story goes, I heard him, but I was out of sight and I came around the corner with my cape on and nothing else. And I was like, woo! And his eyes got real big and he's like, wow, no shame, no shame. That's the phrase, right? That's what we would say, there's no shame. And for a kid, that's a good, that's a good thing. We talk about innocence. And over time, that innocence is lost. And for Adam and Eve, the innocence of naked and no shame, perfection, harmony, unity, innocence. Genesis 2.25 is like the fake rabbit that's just ahead of the greyhounds in the races. It's always just out of their reach. It's actually, a f it's, it, it's like, it's so elusive, but we all want it. We all want that kind of relationship with other people and with God that we could be vulnerable and open our chest cavity and open some of those secret places of our hearts that we've always been ashamed of, filled with disgrace and guilt. We've all longed for Genesis 2.25. It's a simple verse about paradise, no pretension, no hiding, no hurting, no brokenness, no wounds or losses or death and no shame. Shame is a soul crushing, identity warping emotion. It tells you that you're not enough, that you're not valued, that you're not worthwhile, that you are not loved or lovable, that you are not liked or likable. And the story goes on in Genesis chapter three. If you've got your Bible, we're gonna begin in verse one and we're gonna continue to read this story. Genesis chapter three might be the most depressing chapter in all of scripture. It's the fall of mankind. It's the beginning of what we know as sin and death and toil and pain and brokenness and pandemic and epidemic sin. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say, does a serpent ever say that to you in temptation? Did God really, did God really tell you you shouldn't do that? Did, did God really, I mean, did God really say that you shouldn't think those thoughts? Did God really say you shouldn't do those things? Did God really say you shouldn't say those kind of things to someone else? Did God really say? Did God really say you must not eat from the, any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, <clears throat> we may eat fruit from the trees 
in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Hmm, sounds good. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. First John chapter two, verse 16, the apostle John, the beloved disciple that walked with Jesus, he wrote it this way. And I have a feeling that he was thinking about that fateful day, that story of Adam and Eve. And he wrote this, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the father, but from the world. Sin. The deception of sin is that it looks good. Looks like it'd be of benefit. And, and maybe not even the deception of sin, but the, the rationality of sin. And we rationalize sin a lot, don't we? Well, it's, but it looks good. If it feels good, then do it. We have all kinds of phrases that we use. If it feels good, it must be good. It looks good. Sin takes something that is deviant and, and it makes it look good. This is what, how John described in 1 John 2, 16, the lust of the flesh. The other deception of sin is that it looks fun. Sin takes pleasure and makes it paramount. And it's fun for a time, but you all know this. You and I all know this so acutely. Sin looks fun. It looks like the apple that's going to satisfy and you take a bite and it's actually a fake apple. Has anyone ever done that with a bowl of fruit? You grabbed a fake, it looked so good and it was so disappointing. That's it, that's sin. It looked like it would be pleasing, but on the other side of it, it, was, it didn't fulfill the longing and the need that you were trying to meet in your heart of hearts. And sin looks helpful or profitable. Sin takes ambition and gain and it makes them ultimate. This is the pride of life. The reality of sin though through scripture is that it's, um, it, it, it's, it's harmful, it's hurtful. It leads to shame, it leads to guilt. It leads to disunity and division from God. I don't know if you were preparing to hear a message on sin today, but uh, my guess is that most of you don't like hearing messages or conversations about sin. Most people don't, don't really want to talk about sin a whole lot. Most people don't wanna talk about guilt a whole lot. In fact, across the US, I would imagine that a lot of churches, I know this to be true, a lot of churches have deviated away from even talking about sin and we'll call them mistakes or we'll give self-help messages. Here's a little nugget of truth, a little moral principle that when you take and apply this moral principle to your business and to your family and to all of these other places and at school, your life will get better. This is not that message. This message starts with the darkness and the depravity of our own sin. That you and I, not just Adam and Eve, we are this story. This story is the same for us. Sure, we're not in the Garden of Eden, we're in, we're in Lowell, Michigan. But it's the same story. 
The reality of sin, first and foremost in scripture is that it's, it's missing the mark. The most common word for sin in scripture, it, it occurs 600 times, is translated as missing the mark, not just sin, missing the mark. How many of you are academic people, you loved school and you were perfectionists with school. You had to get straight A's and if you got anything less than a straight A, if you got le anything less than 100%, you were dissatisfied. This is gonna drive you crazy because sin literally means the 100% is the standard. But you, right before even taking the test, if you did perfect, you only got a 90. You can't possibly hit the standard. My friends and I had in our senior year of college, we had this dartboard that we brought into um, our, uh, our, our house, our on-campus house, there were eight of us guys. And uh, by, the end of the, by the end of the school year, we had peppered that wall with holes because um, we usually didn't just play darts. We would play blindfolded darts. We would pitch the darts at the wall. I mean, we just did all kinds of crazy stuff as seniors in college, we loved it. But this dartboard, this is the other, uh, kind of another analogy or picture of this word for sin in scripture, it's missing the mark. No matter how many times you try to hit the bullseye, you're not even hitting the board. You can't, that's sin. Another word for sin, another reality of sin in scripture that you and I know so deeply is a breach, a relational breach, treachery or rebellion in a legal or relational sense, more like a relational sense. Whoever commits this word in Hebrew, it's Pesah, does not merely rebel or, or uh, protest against Yahweh or God, but breaks with him, takes what is, his, what is his, robs him, embezzles, misappropriates. Actions of this sin, of relational breach, rupture, solidarity, solidarity and they shatter harmony with God. Relationally breaching God. So Adam and Eve did when they disobeyed. It caused division. Did you know your sin not only is about you and this standard, it's about you and God. Your sin hurts God's heart. It affects God deeply. He's saddened by your sin. He's saddened by my sin. He's saddened by the division that it causes. Sin is also referred to as iniquity. Now, when I, I use this word iniquity, typically I just think of evil or I think of um, moral defect. The, the word uh, literally means that if something is crooked. So in, iniquity literally uh, defined is something that is crooked um, that can't be made uh, straight. So there's a straight standard and crookedness is us with iniquity. I don't know if you've ever, um, done a, a building project or you've um, used a hammer and nails. Most of us have used hammer and nails before. When it, this is the picture that I get in my mind is, is using a nail that out of the box is completely straight and you start nailing into the board and it bends. You know, you hit it incorrectly. I hit the nails incorrectly most of the time. And so you're hitting the nail and it's incorrect and it starts to bend. And so you try to bend it back and you hit it again. What well, bends back the other way. And by the time that you're done, you have this crooked nail that doesn't do its job because it's bent. And you can pull it out and you can try to straighten it as much as you want. It never looks like the original, like it did at the beginning. It's full of iniquity, crookedness. And the fourth term that I want us to talk about here today, and this is what caused Adam and Eve to do the next part of our story, is guilt. 
guilt. This is found all throughout scripture that we are guilty before God, like a judicial sense, like there are scales and we have been found wanting. We can't do enough good things. We can't help enough people to even out that scale. Our sin has made us guilty. About two years ago, I was selected to be uh, for jury duty. Anyone been selected for jury duty? Yeah, some groaning. Oh yeah, yeah. I was one of like three to 400 people selected for jury duty. And then I was one of the few that were chosen to be on the jury of a murder trial. It was one of the hardest things relationally and spiritually that I've had to go through. I remember the first night coming home and I had the picture of the defendant in my mind. And even just based on evidence, I mean, he, he, he didn't have a hope or a prayer. And I remember seeing much more than a human being sitting in the United States judicial, judicial system. I remembered seeing myself before God and considering justice and considering mercy that I was and you were this person sitting as the defense and the prosecution had everything against us. And we didn't have a hope or a prayer, but for Jesus who came in and said, you know what? I'll take that life sentence. I'll take that. I'll take his death penalty for him and he'll go free, guilty. All of these words for sin point to Jesus. All of these words for sin point to the sacrifice that he made for us. And all of them give us a better idea of this next part of our story for why Adam and Eve acted the way that they did. So in verse seven, it says this about Adam and Eve, that the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. Again, we see that word naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. We're gonna stop there. Their eyes were open. They realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together to make coverings for themselves. How many of you like fall around here? You love fall, you love the changing of the colors. But these leaves, when they fall, I mean, some of them are, are beautiful, but they are dead. And the longer they stay on the ground and they dry up and they crumble up, this is what Adam and Eve made a covering with. Fig leaves, dead leaves from a tree. Now they could have been this size, they could have been big. Let's say that they were even big leaves. They're insufficient. They're thin. They're insufficient to cover over their shame. Don't we do this so often? I read this text and I was like, what were they thinking? They were sewing fig leaves together? What, what, did, did they think that this was a good idea? That this would be comfortable for them? That this would cover over their guilt? I heard God speaking into my heart. He's like, you, you do this. Everyone around you does this. They come up with labels. They come up with more sin. They come up with more things to hide, to sew together, to cover over their shame. And it never works. It's nothing but fig leaves. Nothing but dead, crumbly fig leaves that aren't gonna cover up, that aren't gonna help you find freedom from guilt and from shame. They never will and they never can. <clears throat> One of my favorite authors, uh, Brene Brown, she writes about uh, shame 
and uh, vulnerability, she says it this way, talking about guilt and shame and almost covering up. And she says, guilt says I made a mistake, but shame says I am a mistake. So if you remember in, in verse 25, it said that Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. Now their eyes are open and they realize that they're naked. And so they're trying to cover over their shame. They have done wrong. They have disobeyed God. They have sinned and they're guilty. And so shame enters in for the first time in the history of humanity. Shame starts to take root and it starts to poison. Isn't it poisonous in your life? Shame, shame is connecting the what, what I've done with the who. It's taking the action and it's making identification. You see guilt, and we're all guilty. Guilt says this, I didn't do well, but shame says I'm not good enough. It takes the, uh, the I'm not, that I didn't do something well and makes it my identity. I'm not good enough. It says that I'm, guilt says I messed up. Shame says I am messed up. Guilt says, I looked at pornography. Shame says, I am a pervert. Guilt says, I drank alcohol again. Shame says, I am a failure or I'm an alcoholic or I always will be an alcoholic. Futility. Guilt says, I yelled at my kids. Shame says, I'm a bad parent. Guilt says, I failed that test. Shame says, I'm a bad student. Guilt says, they broke up with me again. Shame says, I'm unlovable. Guilt says, they, they, she didn't invite me. Shame says, I am unlikable. Guilt says I failed and shame says I am a failure. Guilt says I made a mistake and shame says I am a mistake. But make no mistake, church. Just fig leaves. Doesn't work, doesn't cover. It doesn't satiate longing in your heart. Shame says I don't belong here, that I'm not good enough, that I'm a failure, that I'm unlovable, that I'm unlikable, that I hate who I am. It says the world is better without me. It says I'm a bad mom, I'm a bad dad, I'm a bad kid, I'm broken and I always will be. And yet God comes looking for us in our shame. This is the good news of the gospel. Is that God doesn't leave us to our own devices he doesn't leave us to our fig leaves. He comes looking for you and he comes looking for me. This is the good news of the gospel. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid, everyone say they hid. Amen. From the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. Everyone say, I was afraid. We're getting better numbers. It's growing as I'm asking you to repeat something. Because I was naked, so I hid. Hiding from God. Twice this word hiding is used. They hid and then Adam confessing it. I was afraid. This is the first time fear enters into the picture. Fear of failure. I went through a list on, in a freedom appointment several years ago of fears in my life. And man, the list is long of fears that people can just succumb to in their lives that take them out because of shame, because of hiding. 
I don't know if you've been reading through this with us, but um, we've got our next devotional volume uh, hot off the presses and it's right out here in the lobby um, for weeks six through nine of our series, Turn the Page, Leave the Cage. And this week we're reading through Let Down and Anger. And what I discovered as I was reading through this this week on my own, one of the powerful things about reading God's word, not just here at church, but owning it for our faith personally and throughout the week is that you get to dig in and discover things and to apply things to your life that are truly life-changing, amen? Do you believe that? Oh, I, I believe that, we believe that. As I was reading about guilt and shame this week, I was reading about David and Bathsheba's story from 2 Samuel. Talk about salacious sin and cover-up. I'm not even, we're not even talking about it today, but we read about it this week. As I was reading about uh, Genesis chapter two and three and about Adam and Eve's cover-up, I, I just began to ask the question, God, where have I hidden from you? And what does this word mean? I started digging into scripture. I started digging into word meanings. I was like, God, what is, is hiding? Is it, is it merely like tucking tail and running? Or what does hiding mean in your word? And this word for hiding in Hebrew is hava, hava. As I began to read about the, the, the description, the etymology of this word hava in Hebrew, it's much more than Adam and Eve covering up or tucking tail and running for themselves. It literally means to put out a fire. I don't know if you like building campfires at this time of the year. It's a perfect time of the year when it's chilly outside and you sit around the campfire with some friends and your family and there's this fire that brings warmth. It brings light. You can cook marshmallows on the campfire. You know what I'm talking about? That's good, right? S'mores, all right? Campfire. So to hide in Hebrew is literally, literally means for you to take almost with a wet blanket and to cover over the fire. To, re- to erase any trace of you being at that camp. The problem with it is that the, the word that's so closely related to this word, chava, which is to hide, is another word in Hebrew, chaveav, which means to love. And it means the literal fire love, the passionate love, the fire of God type of love. Did you know that when you hide from God, what this tells me in this story, that in the Hebrew, that the people would have heard this, they would have heard the correlation, they would have known that these two words are so similar, they come from the same root word. They would have known that when Adam and Eve are hiding from God, what they're effectively doing is they're putting out the fire of the love of God. They're, they're relinquishing, they're squelching the very thing that they need most in their life that will bring them sustenance, that will bring them love, that will bring them warmth, that will bring them protection from enemies, the fire that, 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 that protects from from other animals and wolves and and enemies that they are putting out that fire and they think they're doing themselves a service and they're doing themselves a disservice. They think that they're saving face and they're actually destroying the thing that they need the most in life. And don't we do this all the time? When you hide from God, people listen to this today. When you hide from God, you not only cover up, but you put out and you run from the love of God. And that is one of the most violent things that you can possibly do in this life. 
When you hide from God, you take that wet blanket and you put it over the fire and you think, and now no one knows that I was even here. I've, I've succeeded. And you've taken away the thing that you need that brings freedom and redemption, the love of God in Christ Jesus. Do you see it? To hide is to cover up, to put out, to run from the love of God. And so God says to, to Adam, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Have you sinned against me? And the man says this, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the tree, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and, and I ate it. You notice what Adam says here? The woman that you gave, Adam effectively in one statement blames two different people. One, he blames God. Have you, been, have you ever found yourself in that place blaming God for something that was your responsibility? I don't mean to get all up in your business, but I might be up in your business, okay? <laughs> and blaming someone else. And notice what happens and God's like, okay, um, uh, then the Lord goes to the woman. So he asks Adam, uh, God, you gave me the woman and she was the one that did it. So he goes over the woman. Oh, what is this? The Lord then says to the woman, what is this that you've done? Do you realize what you've done? The woman said, the, the serpent. It was a serpent. The serpent deceived me and I ate it. Do you see what's happening here? This is the part of the story that's the blame game. You see, we, we can't, we'd be remiss to not talk about shame and sin and guilt and miss the part of blaming and victimization. Blaming other people for your sin will not lead you to healing. The man says it was the woman and it was God. The woman says it was the serpent. Blaming. The part of the problem with sin, part of the problem with sin that leads to more shame is that there's often no recognition of guilt. I read a, a psychological study this last week. It was actually a dissertation um, from someone working on uh, their PhD and they did a study on inmates. It was a fascinating study. Uh, they did a study on, on prison inmates and how shame and guilt affected the likelihood of them repeating crime, repeating the same cycle of brokenness. What they discovered is that if, a, if an inmate uh, had guilt and shame, we're gonna couple those together, and went on, the next step was them blaming other people, that the likelihood of recidivism, the likelihood of them repeating the crime or getting into trouble with the law again was sky high. However, when they felt guilt and shame and they didn't blame other people, but they owned it, the likelihood of, of them actually healing and finding redemption and not repeating the same cycle of sin was lowered. What this tells me psychologically and spiritually and emotionally for us is that when we feel shame, when we feel guilt, us deceiving ourselves into saying that we're just fine and it was everyone else's fault is always going to shoot ourselves in the foot. It's never gonna work. You and I have to admit, we have to come clean before God. We have to take off the fig leaves and be like, God, this is, yeah, you're, yep. I'm not trying to cover up. I'm not trying to hide anymore. I'm not putting out the fire of the love of God anymore. I'm coming clean. 
Some of you here think that you are inadequate. And I, this might step on your toes. This might not feel very good. Okay, I'm sorry, sorry, not sorry, I guess. Some of you think that you're inadequate and you know what you, you are. But for Jesus, some of you think that you're a sinner here. And you, you know what? You're right again. <laughs> some of you uh, think that you're pathetic. Look around. Do you see some pathetic people around you? Don't point at anyone. Don't point at this, okay? Okay. Some of you, some of you are. That's like, that's, we're pathetic, inadequate, sinful, but for Jesus. You see, when we focus on our own shame and that's all we're focusing on, we repeat that cycle and that story of shame. But when we take our affection and our attention from our own shame and our own problem of sin and we turn it to Jesus, the only one, the author and perfecter of our faith, the only one that can bring you freedom and love and hope and redemption, when we turn, now our inadequacy turns to qualification. Did you know that you're called qualified by God in scripture? Did you know that you're called loved by God? Do you know that you're called adopted by God? Did you know that you're called a child of God? Did you know that you're called gifted by God, that you have been gifted fruits of the spirit, gifts of the spirit, you are gifted, you're qualified, you're empowered, you're equipped, you're saved, you're freed, you're redeemed because of Jesus. You no longer carry the label of guilt and shame over here, but you can walk into freedom today. Some of you need to hear that because you've been walking around with shame that no one else knows about. You've been walking around with guilt and with sin and you've been repeating the same cycle all your life. And today is the day for you to break that cycle. Is it not? Not many amens there. Because that takes some serious guts. coming clean and taking off the fig leaves, turning the page on sin and shame takes some serious guts and disclosure. And whether inside the church or outside of the church, no one likes to do it. No one likes to fess up and say, hey, come on in my home. Let me show you this closet with all these dead bones. Let me show you these other areas with all of this baggage and brokenness. No one likes doing that. It's the only way to healing. The only way to healing. This is the beautiful part of the end of this story though. It says this in verse 21, after God has given all of these uh, effects of sin and he talks about pain and labor and toil and division and death. It's Genesis chapter three, 14 to 20. It's seven verses 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, seven verses of God talking about the effects of sin, pain in childbirth, enmity or division between human beings and animals, enmity, division between human beings and other human beings. Do you know what I'm talking about? Get onto your Facebook right now and you can see the division that's all over the place. The effects of sin, the curse of sin, and ultimately death. Yet this is the beautiful part of this story. The story ends here. We're gonna end our story here. Genesis chapter three, verse 21 says this, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and God was the one that clothed them.
God understood and he understands today, he understood then, that our feeble attempts at hiding, our feeble attempts at making, sewing some fig leaves together and covering up our sin and our shame would never work. And so God is the first one in scripture that makes a sacrifice for our sin. He takes one of his good creation. He takes an animal. He's the first one to make the sacrifice. And he takes the skin of the animal and he covers over. Did you know that God cares about covering over your shame? He cares about coming around you and with the warmth and the love of God saying, you don't have to hide anymore. Take off that. I, what I will cover you with is love and grace that you couldn't possibly earn on your own, but you need more than life itself. Do you see this here though today is that God made the first sacrifice in all of scripture and he made the last sacrifice. This is just a precursor to what God would do years later by sending his one and only son, the perfect lamb of God to take away our sin to cover us. Do you hear it even in scripture in the New Testament? Paul says it this way, that, that he has clothed us. Do you hear it here? We're these naked, vulnerable, sinful people, but he has clothed us with righteousness, with goodness. He's given us his name. It's God who brings freedom from sin and shame. There's a story I want you to check out here today. Jake and Amy Heitman shared their story of brokenness, of shame, of sin, of guilt. Check this out. I'm Jay Kiteman. And I'm Amy, his wife. We moved to Lowell uh, two years ago and we've been going to Impact really ever since. We've been able to get plugged in and uh, and it's really, it's been refreshing. We ended up meeting, started dating, and I think we got engaged like nine months, nine months after later, we started dating. And they got married a year after that. I grew up in the church. Uh, so we, we knew the Bible and we knew God's word and we knew the right things to say and the right things to do and how to praise and how to worship. And in the church that we grew up in, and even in the school, it was like, you had that judgmental sort of, especially the school I went to. Uh, there was a, like always that judgmental feeling to it. It seemed like all the sins that like people had, they just kind of, they kept them to themselves or hid them away or, or you just didn't know much about it. I had a buddy at school who had brought, it was like a one page playboy type thing into school. And all, of course all the boys saw it. And that was like the first thing that sparked we went to his house and like he had it on his computer and like from there it like started to grow. Pornography wasn't something I was ever going to bring in my house. Like I, I knew I had to like, I couldn't be caught dead with my parents with, with this uh, or else I would be, I didn't even want to think of what the repercussions would be. Uh, but then that led into like high school where now it's even, you know, you've got a lot more freedom. It was more available. And then certainly when I went away to college, it was like a kid in a candy store. I was still looking at things lustfully. I was still looking at pornography on a regular basis in college. 
and then came we come into marriage and and I tried me personally relying on my own own abilities trying getting that out of my life and it still found ways to to grab my leg and pull me back in I was so wound up I was I I didn't know where to go I felt like I was trapped in a corner and it was it was unbearable The night of June 1st, going into June 2nd, 2016. That was, that was the last time. I remember just this overwhelming feeling. Something's gotta give. Like here I am, I'm, I'm like, I'm supposed to be this, this Christian man. It's like people look up to in our church and family and like I'm bringing us to church every week and I'm still praying and I'm still like reading God's word but like why why can't I like get rid of this and I'm like I told God that night I'm like this is it I'm done whatever you need uh like I'm I'm ready I'm ready to to face the music and I just I didn't want to I didn't want to keep hurting God I didn't want to keep hurting Amy and tearing our family further apart without them not even knowing it that week, just, it was like the next night or two, I, we were sitting on the couch and I could just feel God saying like, now's the time, man, you gotta do it. Yeah, yeah, I felt awful and I felt like a failure. Being a Christian, you're, we're called to forgive the inexcusable in others because Christ is forgiven it and excusable in us. You know, like God's shown me grace, so I'm gonna show him grace and together we're gonna show our kids grace and yeah. our community grace and our church family grace. Um, so hopefully we just become channels of, of his grace. Knowing that there wasn't something hiding anymore that was between us, I think has allowed our relationship to grow a lot deeper like certainly we had hard conversations but the having the shame and the guilt removed giving everything over to Christ it's done Romans 5 8 God demonstrates his love for you in this that while you were still yet a sinner Christ died for me even in my mess even in the mock, the mire, like, like he was willing to be there on the cross and like just take it all on him. That's where I felt like Christ lit me on fire and said, all right, we're going to do something. I'm Jake Heitman, and with Jesus's help, I turned the page. I had a conversation with someone last night after the service, and he's right down, we were right down here. <clears throat> and uh, we were talking about sin and shame and struggle. And I, he just shared about this feeling of futility. <clears throat> like, I, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can 
the habit, the struggle has just been cyclical and how do I break that, that, that cycle? And I think for some of you today, um, there's two things I'm gonna give you the opportunity to respond to before we take communion together and celebrate what Jesus has done for us. The breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. But some of you have never, some of you have never made a decision to allow God to come in and to take away your guilt and to take away your shame. You've held on to the same old stuff and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus ever. You've been trying to go it alone and trying to find meaning and fulfillment and hope on your own. And you've been covering up with fig leaves. And you've been putting out the fire. And today is the day for you to turn to Christ for the first time ever and say, Jesus, I believe in the sacrifice that you paid on the cross once and for all for my sin. And I ask that you would be my Lord and Savior today. I ask that you would be the, the one that kills and defeats shame and sin in my life. It's all because of Jesus. It's only because of Jesus that you can have freedom today. But some of you have never made that decision. I'm gonna ask you to do something really gutsy today. And there might be one of you that does this. There might be two, there might be none, there might be 10, there might be dozens. I have no idea. But I'm calling you today to stand where you're at as a sign of really even being unashamed. You know, Paul says in Romans 1:16, for I'm unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because through it is the forgiveness of sins and the freedom for many, first for the Jew and then the Gentile, for all who believe. And for you today, I'm asking you maybe to stand up, to take, to take it's gonna take some guts to stand here in front of other people and to say, I'm turning the page on sin and shame for the first time and I'm asking Jesus to be my savior. And if that's you today, I want you to stand on the count of three. One, knowing that God loves you. Two, leaving sin and shame behind. And three, stand where you're at. If that's you, yes, 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 amen. <clears throat> Amen. Freedom. Well, stay, stay standing. Yeah, keep, yeah, stay standing. And what, uh, what a moment of celebration for people to come out from hiding from sin and shame. And for you today, I'm gonna ask for these to stay standing. And the next part is this. Some of you have, like Jake, you grew up in the church, you've, you've walked with Jesus all your life, but you've been running this uh, low light reel while, while like promoting a highlight reel of your life. Do you know what I'm talking about? Everyone else thinks you've been living this kind of life out here while on the inside, you've been dealing with pornography or sexual addiction or alcoholism or uh, bitterness or you unforgiving spirit, or you've, maybe it's your language, maybe it's your mind, maybe it's your attitude. I don't know what it is for you, but you've been dealing with the same sin and guilt and shame for your life, even though you're free. And just like the bird back here in the cage, like salvation isn't the issue. You've been saved, but you've stayed in the cage of of your own sin and condemnation while you're free. It's like the door is open for you to go free and you're like, I'm pretty comfortable in here. I'm pretty comfortable in my own sin. The same cycles. 
And for you, I wanna ask for you to take the stand today to turn the page on your sin and shame. I don't know what it is for you, but by standing, you're declaring to everyone here and declaring to God, I'm not ashamed to say that I'm turning the page today. If that's you, would you stand on the count of three? One, two, three. Hey, I've got people that are jumping the gun. I love it back here. You're standing, standing everywhere in this place, turning the page, turning the page on sin and shame. It's not holding you down anymore. That is something to celebrate. Something to celebrate today. Heard a guy back here just, woo, that's right. That's right, brother. That's right. That's right. Turning the page on sin and shame. I want you all, if you're standing up here, maybe you're sitting down and, and you were like, man, I, I, I need to do this. And maybe you take this step later today. Maybe you take this step later tonight. Maybe you're taking this step in your heart right now. I wanna tell you, maybe if, if that's you, some of your next steps, some of your next steps in your relationship with Jesus are talking to someone about it. This guy that was standing up here, I told him, I was like, you gotta get into community with people to talk about, to open up your chest cavity, not just between you and God, but talking to people so that you can turn the page on your sin and shame. So you can get accountability and community because we're a church of openness and vulnerability. Are we not church? We're not a church where we're gonna come and pretend and hide, but a church of openness and accountability. And we've got baptisms coming up. Man, I'd love to see some of you get baptized for the first time saying, you know what? I made a decision to follow Jesus and now I'm making the decision to get baptized. I'm following after him. God, thank you for these that have stood with boldness to declare today that they're not gonna live the same cycle. They're not gonna keep sewing those fig leaves together. Whatever those, whatever those statements of shame, whatever those statements of guilt, whatever that sin is that's been hanging over their head for, for weeks, for months, for years, that they are making a decision today to turn the page on that and to leave the cage and to move into freedom today. I pray for just Holy Spirit that you would give them a Holy Spirit type of power today. That as the enemy comes and attacks, as the enemy comes and whispers different lies about who they are, that they will remember whose they are. And they will remember that they are a child of God, that they are chosen, that they are loved, that they are beloved, that they are equipped, that they are qualified, that they are redeemed, that they are now adequate because of the precious blood of Jesus. And as we sing about this blood, as we take communion today, we remember what you've done for us, Jesus, and we celebrate the victory that we have because of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's celebrate again today, church. Let's celebrate again. Why don't you stand? Why don't you stand where you're at? We're gonna sing together and we're gonna take in communion together as the band leads us. And come as you feel led. Some of you for the first time taking communion as a follower of Jesus, come and take in the juice and in the, and in the bread representing the body and blood of Christ.